This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Hello and welcome to this mini episode of Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Kyle Lukoff, who used to be a school librarian but now writes children books full-time. And here we are reading a letter from a listener. I'll, I'll preface this uh, by saying this this particular question comes from uh, an episode that I did earlier this winter with Tori Bedford from somebody who wrote in um, to describe they themselves are, are not a trans woman, but their partner's a trans woman. And people sometimes, not infrequently, take them for a trans woman as well. And this kind of broader question of like, when and how can I correct people? Uh, I don't want to appear like panicked about the idea of being taken for a trans woman, but I also don't want to, um, you know, uh, they did not use the expression stolen valor and I don't want to introduce it here, but essentially the, the, there was that question of also like, I also don't want to do a stolen valor thing. Um, and so we had talked about that kind of at length. Um, and, uh, that that's the episode that this person is referring to. I am a 67 year old boomer trying to understand the fluidity of gender and sexuality Your last podcast about the non-binary lesbian had me totally confused. Is there some source I can use for research when I Google entries come up so muddled? Thank you for any direction. Uh, I'll I'll start by saying that my first read here is that this is like fundamentally sweet and well-meaning. I'm aware that there is like a type of response that is possible, which is, you know, don't be curious. It's wrong to want to you know, research other people's experiences. If you're just looking for flat answers, um, don't worry about it. And I don't want to lean too far in that direction. But I also want to make sure that I can encourage this letter writer to maybe also learn to live with the discomfort that sometimes comes from hearing about an experience that you're not familiar with and not getting all the answers right away. Does that feel like a possible balance that we can strike here? Yeah, so actually, uh, I once had a nine-year-old ask me what the difference was between being pansexual and being uh, bisexual, because they said that it seemed like they've read, they were like reading about it and they couldn't tell the difference really. And they're like, sometimes it says a pan is this and bi is that, but sometimes it says a bi is that, pan is this, and I don't really know what it is. Um, And I said to this nine-year-old, that's good. You should be a little bit uncertain because what you're learning is that different people use language to describe themselves in ways that doesn't that isn't always uh, that isn't always consistent because we're all sort of like learning about and building these ideas together collectively. So the fact that you're willing to say that you don't really quite understand what's going on means that you are way ahead of people who say that they definitely know what all these words mean 100%. Yeah, all I know is that like people love to fight about pansexual versus bisexual on Twitter, but beyond that, like I couldn't accurately try to represent like, who makes what claims about which word. So well done. So I guess, I mean, my advice to this 67-year-old boomer is the same advice that I would give to this nine-year-old, which is that like, you're going to hear people use language to describe themselves that you don't necessarily understand. And that openness to not understanding is more important than believing that you fully understand, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a useful rubric as well, because what I want to be able to to say to somebody in this position is both it's possible to learn more about people's experiences and to get a 
clearer sense of what many people uh, mean when they use certain types of language. Um, so certainly there's room to become less confused, but I, I would stop short of saying like there, you know, if there's one or two glossaries that you can read, one or two primers you can check out and you will be done and it will be settled and answered. So something in between like going full hazy, the journey is the destination, man, um, versus, you know, here are the answers. Now, you know, them make flashcards. Yeah. I think that actually muddling through Google entries would be more useful than a single encyclopedia entry because muddling through Google will show you the ways the different people are like arguing about the boundaries and the different, the things that are consistent versus the things that are in conflict. So it might feel a little bit more frustrating than what you were hoping for, but I find that that sort of like palimpsest of information can be more, more holistic than anything else. Yeah. I also want to say, I'm just going to go with say, I was trying to find another word and I'm not going to. Um, sometimes when someone positions themselves as, uh, you know, people sometimes deploy the word boomer a little bit tongue in cheek, um, sometimes not. The framing here, whether intentional or not, is 67-year-old boomer set against fluidity of gender and sexuality as if they are possibly or likely in opposition to each other. And I didn't get the sense that this this was written antagonistically. So I, I don't at all mean to say, letter writer, that you are um, shaking a fist at kids these days. But I am aware that sometimes people in their 60s start to think about different ideas about gender and sexuality in part because they are noticing something about themselves. And uh, again, I really, really am not looking to say, letter writer, maybe you noticed this and you felt a certain sense of discomfort or um, intensity because you you think maybe there is room for me here, but I am also worried being in my 60s that um, it is for young people or that I have missed out on an opportunity. I really, you know, there are plenty of people who are just curious because they're nosy. Uh, there are plenty of people who are just curious because they like to learn. There are plenty of people who are curious because they feel kind of hostile and baffled. So all, all of those things are possible here. I don't want to foreclose any one reading. But, you know, I, I will just say, letter writer, if part of you feels like the stuff that I think only the kids are doing these days seems kind of baffling, kind of desirable, kind of upsetting, kind of meaningful, uh, and I, I wonder if it is possible for me to learn about this so that I can potentially become a part of a new kind of community, um, you you can. And I would really like to encourage that. So I would maybe want to start from that possibility. Does that seem reasonable to you, Kyle, of the, like, that kind of question of like, I want to learn more and I kind of feel sad that I'm stuck with Googling because I, I wish that I had more people in my life I could talk to about this. Does that seem like a good, fruitful place to start potentially? Uh that's not really where mine was going. That sounds fine to me. Um, but as you were talking, I was actually just kind of like uh, warmly reminiscing about a few people that I know in their 60s and 70s who have come to like a variety of non-binary identities as they've aged and just how much I like those people that I've been thinking of. Yeah, well then I'll, I will start with this letter writer. If you have felt like Google has been uh, muddled, which makes a lot of sense, especially because, you know, it sounds like you're asking a very open-ended question. It's not like you were like specifically, uh, you know, what is trans misogyny or specifically what is bisexual. 
Um, it's more this sort of question of like, what's going on in this general area? Which, as you, as you realize, letter writer, that's the kind of question Google is not very good at answering. Um, you know, I would encourage you to take a look at something like, you know, the work of Susan Stryker, Transgender History, um, or like the Stonewall Reader, um, or, you know, any kind of like elements of like LGBT literature or, or nonfiction writing that comes from different eras so that you're not just getting a sense of like what somebody in their 20s might be doing right now. You know, like what Cleve Jones did when we rise a couple years ago. Um, you know, there's Leslie there's Feinberg's uh, nonfiction collections are f- phenomenal. Yeah. And they just uh, they recently re-released Transgender Warriors or, or are re-releasing it. So that's that's another possibility. There's always the, uh, the Lillian Faderman's The Gay Revolution, the story of the struggle. Um, and again, not that any of these one books is going to like settle your mind and answer every question and make you feel like I understand everything that everyone's doing. But uh, they they might be, you know, useful jumping off points for learning more that's slightly more helpful to you than just Googling what's going on. Also, as you kept referring to kids these days, I wanted to share that my next novel, the working the working draft was called Kids These Days, but I knew that I couldn't keep it Kids These Days. But it's actually about uh, generational conflicts within queer and trans identities. It's actually called Different Kinds of Fruit, but there is a line where the dad character says, there's a lot I don't understand about kids these days and their genders. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, again, just because I think it is always valuable to be reminded of like, there are people in their 60s and 70s and 80s and older um, who are, you know, covered under the the vague phrase fluidity of sex and gender, you know, like, um, and, and so I think that that will potentially also be a useful counterbalance because I don't want to spend too much time assuming letter writer, like you must be coming to a new awareness about yourself. And this is going to spark a beautiful journey for you that ends in like a, a coming out moment. Um, but regardless of whether it does or doesn't, this might be fun, interesting, and valuable to you simply so you do not um, end up with like the mistaken assumption that, you know, being gay or being trans or coming out um, or or anything along those lines is solely the purview of people in their 20s. You know, I, I think of somebody like, you know, look at the life of Miss Major, you know, like this is this is a, a woman uh, who has a documentary about her uh, back in 2015, I think. It was just called Major. Um, she's a, a fascinating character. She's 81, you know, she's within your generation and, and even older than you, uh, letter writer. So, you know, it's it's nice. It's, sorry, not to, not to be like, I don't want to like make it a contest about how old anyone is. I just mean like it's it's nice um, to be reminded that that there are living people who are older than twenty five, who who fall into whatever the fluidity of gender and sexuality is gesturing at. Do you have any other thoughts there beyond that? I, we've done a lot of like the good side of it. Is there any part of you that wants to address the kind of like you also don't have to worry about all of this or like don't be weird. Um, no, this didn't feel weird to me. I was actually kind of glad that the letter writer was looking up information and also asking for help instead of saying, what I did was I started yelling at non-binary people in my spare time. Like, it seems like this is a great way to find knowledge. And I am getting, I don't know, I just, I'm getting a good sense from this letter writer. Yeah, I am too. And so, you know, just specifically uh, when it comes to your question about that particular episode, letter writer, you know. Um, we were, I was talking to and attempting to advise somebody who had at different points in their life kind of tried on different forms of one type of transition and found that some of that served them and some of them didn't. 
and ultimately landed on an understanding of themselves that uh, felt like non-binary described best. And that might feel confusing because, you know, it as often as not describes what something isn't. And so within those confines can be a lot of different things. So sometimes the word non-binary doesn't tell you much more on its face than not a couple of other things. And there is then infinite room for uh, self-description, change, identity, shared community, et cetera. Um, And so, yes, it is itself just like on its own, not necessarily a phrase that's going to immediately tell you something about the person you are thinking about, interacting with, talking to. Um, There is more to come. It is a placeholder that, that you will learn more about as long as you are not like, explain yourself to me immediately. What's going on? I tried Googling you. I don't know your deal. Don't do that. And it doesn't seem like that's what this person is doing. No. Yeah. Sorry. I don't want to suggest letter writer. This was a perfectly uh, appropriate couple of sentences to send to me. You've done nothing wrong. I don't want to assume that you do yell at people. Um, congratulations on not yelling at people. That's wonderful. Keep it up. And also, if you would like to become a little bit more fluid yourself, have at it. It's never too late. You can do whatever you want within reason. I'm not going to list things you can't do, but, you know, <laughs> fill in the blanks. Um, the last thing that I will say, and this is like a little bit of an extrapolation, but sometimes, not necessarily in this case, but sometimes people will talk about fluidity when they just mean trans. And, um, that's not the same thing. Sometimes people say fluidity when they mean trans, because what they want to say is, well, obviously, you know, you know, you're not really a man. Uh, you're not really a woman. It's some sort of crazy fluid thing. Uh, don't do that. That's, uh, I also, I also see that with gender nonconforming. Um, I'm. I, I don't know. I don't think the listeners can see me, but I'm a fairly boring looking man. And I like it that way. I'm not especially non-conforming as a man. Yeah, I think we've hit upon maybe the most challenging word in this letter, which is fluid. Because like, what do you mean when you're saying fluid? Because if you mean trans, that's not necessarily very fluid. Um, sometimes it's a pretty straightforward move from point A to point B. And that involves change, certainly, but not really fluidity. And so I think it's always good to check, am I using fluid to mean something like weird to me? Um, and if so, is there a a different word than I can employ? Because, yeah, if somebody were to tell me that, like, I, I, I certainly, you know, think that there are ways in which I can be a little fun and zazzy in my gender expression. But, like, I am a trans man. Um, that part feels pretty straightforward to me. Um, and there's not, I think a great deal of fluidity there. So like, I think if somebody were to use the word fluid in referring to me, my hunch is that they would be trying to say something closer to, you don't pass great, (laughs) um, which, you know, again, like guilty as charged fine. Um, but, uh, it's not the same thing as being fluid. Um, you are, I think instead, uh, you, you have found like a loose cobblestone and you're putting the word fluid over it. Um, when what you mean is ugly. Yeah. So, fluidity, then, sorry, think... letter writer, you are not bringing any of this to the table. I am just riffing at this point on my own experiences. If I could riff too, I think fluidity is best used to refer to an individual's shifting sense of self and not something that one person gets to put upon another person. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty useful. I, I would say that generally if somebody has described themselves as gender fluid um, or used the word fluid in any kind of capacity to describe their own situation, that's pretty fine. Sometimes when people use it to refer to someone else, it also feels fine. And sometimes, as you say, it it feels like an attempt to um, mitigate something that the speaker is uncomfortable with. 
Also, you just heard one of my dogs make a very forlorn little squeal in the background. I did hear that squeak. mm -hmm, Because usually they get to eat at 4.30 and that's in 23 minutes. And so now it's time to make sure I know that they have never been fed in their lives and they've never eaten anything and they're never going to eat ever in their lives again. That's good to know that. I love them so much. I wish that you were here so that we could feed them tiny little plates of food. I love them too because I love it when I hold Gogo and he does the like hand flappy thing at me. It's very special. He like does his little paw windmill. Gogo is a fluid creature. I don't mean uh, in any sort of like capacity uh, that we've just been discussing, but he moves fluidly. Um, Anyone who wants to describe him as fluid would be right to do so. Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with the guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening.